I believe that God has commissioned us. He has called us to make an impact. God is challenging us to answer the prayer of Jesus. Will we be united? Will we rally together? Will we come together with united momentum to change lives? Why? Because we have too many people walking in darkness, too many people separated from God, because we want to see the name of God glorified. Because as we come together with united momentum, the world will know that God sent us and that he loves them and invites them into relationship with him forever. Well, thanks again for being here at Grace. We are glad you're here, and I am really pumped up. I'm stoked about sharing with you what I believe God has laid on our hearts, what's next for Grace Community Church. Now, let me just throw out that if you're new here, if this is one of your first times at Grace, this is not your normal sermon. Uh, it's not the normal talk that we do. This is a little more family-focused. It's about our plans as a church family, so just just bear in mind all that, and hopefully, maybe by being here, uh, you'll be able to see a little bit about our, our heart, our passion to reach the world around us. I was recently reminded, uh, anybody here that's, that's a Civil War buff? I mean, you kind of like reading history about the Civil War? Yeah, yeah a few of us, yeah, and uh, probably some more than me, but I was just reminded about uh, General McClellan. This is, he eventually was the leader of the entire Union Army, and, uh, and he was given the leadership of the Army of the Potomac. But Lincoln, on paper, could not have picked a more capable general than General George McClellan. As a matter of fact, he was the youngest person ever to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. He was admitted when he was 15 years old. He graduated at the top of his class. He actually graduated second only because of poor sketching skills. I mean, if a general's going to have a, a flaw, right, it would be, yeah, I'm picking the guy who's not a great drawer. You know, he, he doesn't sketch well. But uh, so he graduated second, and he was a master organizer, master strategist. As a matter of fact, when Lincoln appointed him to head the Army of the Potomac that was stationed in Washington, D.C., that was at a time when the war was not going well for the Union. Uh, the Confederacy had, had won several battles. Things were going better for them, and uh, people were a little down in the North, and they were seeing that things could go bad. But the first four months that McClellan was over the Army of the Potomac, it increased in size by raising volunteers 300%. A, a master military organizer. And uh, there was just one problem with McClellan. He just would not fight. He just wasn't a fighter. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a famous quote that, that Lincoln says. He says, if General McClellan is not going to be using his army, maybe I could borrow it for a while. You know, that kind of a thing. And, and although he was involved in some battles, and the most famous one, I believe, would be Antietam, he never would finish. He would never go forward. Even though his army outnumbered the enemy two to one as they surrounded and came, 
came close to Washington, D.C., he was always convinced that the enemy had more people than he did and he would not fight. And eventually, after a year of excruciating inactivity, Lincoln replaced the greatest military mind maybe in the world at that time with somebody else. He replaced him with a, a general who didn't have half of McClellan's talent on paper, but he would fight anyone, anywhere, anytime, and that name was U.S. Grant. As a matter of fact, after the war, Grant said, McClellan is to me one of the great mysteries of the war. Uh, nobody could figure it out. The, the point is this. A military man is only as good as his ability to fight. If he doesn't know how to fight, then all of his other talents are useless. They're meaningless because he's got to know how to fight. And, and in that same way, there's something that's true of us. As Christians, we are called to do one main thing. And if we're not doing that, that main thing, then we fail. It doesn't matter if we have the greatest youth program or, or the best children's ministry in our region. It doesn't matter if the greatest sermons are preached or, or we have the best adult ministry or young adult ministry around. If we're not making disciples, it does not matter. If we're not making disciples, we are missing what God has given us. We're missing our mission. We're missing the great commission that God has given us to do. Um, we, we have this campaign. It's called Synergize. And uh, Synergize, of course, that's a verb that comes from the word synergy. And most of you know, synergy is a, a concept that when uh, two or more things or people come together with a greater effect than the sum of their individual efforts. Basically, to put it in a nutshell, it's one plus one is greater than two. That's synergy. When we come together and our combined effect is greater than the sum of our individual effects, that's the concept of synergy, and that's the concept that God wants us to use as a church. And that's what I want to talk about, is I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about our future, who we are, but basically just answer three questions. Why it matters, why grace matters, where we've been, where we're going, or what's next. Why it matters, where we've been, what's next. That's what I want us to see. Well, why it matters, um, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 28. And as you're turning there or getting your device out and, and turning on, um, I'll just set the context. As, as you know, Jesus was born in relative obscurity in Bethlehem, and then he was raised in definite obscurity in Nazareth, and he didn't start his public teaching ministry until he was 30 years old. When he, and then his ministry only lasted three short years. At the end of those three years, he allowed himself to be crucified for the sins of the world. Three days later, he rose again, and then he spent 40 days on earth uh, appearing to his disciples and, and many other 
people, including a group of 500 people at once, and appeared to many people, and then after 40 days, after his resurrection, he ascended up to heaven. But before he left, this is what he said in Matthew 28, and I'd like to pick it up beginning in verse 19, or verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This even to the end of the age reminds us that that this was not just a charge for the, the 11 disciples that were left. It's not just them, but all followers, that we would make disciples. That's our call. And, and it's interesting to me, because a lot of times we visualize this picture of Jesus leisurely traveling through rural Galilee with, with a, group of, a small group of friends. And, and that picture contrasts sharply with what happened with Jesus' followers, say, about two or three months after this event right here. Because first he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, but then when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the church exploded. And that's exactly how Jesus intended for it to be. And so as we look at, at this great commission and if that is the main mission that God has given us, and some of the, maybe one of the first questions might be, well, well, how do we do that? How do we make disciples? And it's a huge question because many Christians are confused on this issue, what it means to make disciples. And Jesus actually answered that. The way this passage is constructed is that it's basically, there's three ways to make disciples, three participles that, that explain that, and it's we make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. We make disciples by going to the lost people around us and sharing with them our faith, Tell, whether that's around the world or our neighbor or in our region, we share with them the message of Christ. And then if they become a believer, if they become a follower of Christ, one of the first things that should happen is that they get baptized. And I know a lot of times there's a delay in that. We have a baptism service coming up, and if that's true of you, you need to grab one of those cards. If you become a believer and you haven't been immersed underwater as a believer, baptized, you need to grab one of those cards in the chair rack in front of you, put your name down, your contact information, and say, hey, I want to be baptized next time. And turn that in, we'll contact you and tell you kind of what to do to make that happen. So how do we make disciples? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching them. And then when it comes to teaching, it's not just anything. It's teaching them all the things that I've commanded. We don't get to pick and choose through the Bible what we teach, but all of God's counsel, all of God's truth. That's it. That's how we make disciples. How does God... Make disciples, how does he do it? He does it with you and me, by us impacting other people. A disciple is simply a follower, a learner, a follower of Jesus who wants to learn. And, um, and how do we know when we've been successful? The way we know that we've been successful in making a disciple is when that person that we have pointed to Jesus 
in turn starts pointing other people to Jesus. That's, the, that's what Jesus said anyway in John 15, 80. He says, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're supposed to be out there reproducing ourselves, making an impact, making a difference. And I think a lot of times we as Christians, we become kind of lethargic about that. And, and we, we drift into an attitude that's something like this. Well, if God wants to use me to do something like that, well, then I need a Damascus Road experience. That's what happened to Paul. I mean, I need God to knock me out of my car on my way somewhere and to blind me and to give me the message and, and the mission, and then I'll know. Or if it's not that dramatic, it's like, well, if I wake up someday and I'm eating my Cheerios and my Cheerios spell out what God wants me to do, you know, then I'll know. I need that sign. But God's already told us. We don't need a sign. He's already given us our mission. The Great Commission is for every single believer. That's, that's you and me if you're a follower of Christ. He's already given us our task. And our prayers should be, God, send me. God, use me. God, how can I leverage my influence, my talents, my opportunities? How can I leverage that for your kingdom? How can I make disciples? How can I help make disciples? Help me figure that out, God. We should be ready to go. It's funny, Jesus said this right before he left. Because another thing that Jesus said is that he was coming back, right? Right? And so we talk about end times and eschatology is what that means in times. And we can get all into that, which is great. I love that. But why the delay? He said that 2,000 years ago. I'm coming back. It's been 2,000 years. Why the delay? Well, he tells us why the delay. It's so that we can work the mission. As a matter of fact, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise. That's a promise of coming back. The Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why does Jesus delay in his return? It's to give us a chance, an opportunity to work the mission, to do what he's called us to do to make an impact on the people that we love and the people that we rub shoulders with in our life. Spurgeon, who is a 19th century famous preacher in England, said, I would sooner win one person to Christ than unravel all the mysteries of God's Word. Well, why would he say that? Because that's what God told us to do. And Spurgeon understood that better than most. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, especially as I, I get older, I, I start sometimes thinking about how I'm spending my life and how much time I have left and, you know, just all that stuff and what kind of an impact, you know, just all that stuff. But, but here's the way I am, and, and maybe this, have you ever, it, you just, life gets busy. 
Have you ever got up in the morning and your heart starts racing or thinking about all the things you need to do and you know you have this to-do list and then you start the day and you're, and you're busy all day long doing all this stuff and finally you're done, the day's over, it's a long day, a busy day, and then you realize you have not knocked off one thing off of your to-do list? Has that ever happened to you? It's like, wow, what happened there? Don't go into eternity and meet our Savior and realize in all our busy lives we didn't do the one thing that God wanted us to do. Don't do that. Get engaged in what God is doing. Get engaged as we make disciples. We should do that individually, and we should all do that synergistically as we come together as a church family. That effort that we have should be greater than all, the sum, the addition of all of our individual efforts as we try to impact people for Christ. We exist, grace exists to see lives changed. That's why it's important, because it's important to God, because people matter to God. The people around us matter to God, and He has ordained that we're involved in making a difference in their lives. Well, a lot of people wonder where we've been, and some of you have been here a long time, and you get all this, and some of you are new, so every few, three or four years, we try to throw this up uh, just to kind of give you a little of the history of grace. Grace started in... 1939, with a group of people who were committed to the inerrancy of Scripture. They first started meeting out on the prairie, and that's a term that some of the old-timers in, in Fremont uh, recognize as, as kind of behind the, the, the uh, quarry on Stone Street. West of that is the prairie. And uh, they started meeting in two houses, but then later started meeting in this. This is a, a Presbyterian church that they were borrowing their church building and, and that's a picture, I think that's from 1939 or, or 1940, who started Grace. They later then uh, purchased land on the corner of Bird's Eye and Collingwood, which is this little neighborhood just right over there. If you, just, if you came south from the, what used to be the shoe store there on State Street a few blocks, that's where our church started. And and it was during war years, they built a basement, and they met in there for a while, and then they couldn't finish the, the upstairs until things weren't rationed anymore because of World War II. And then when that all cleared up, they went ahead and completed their building. Um, after that, while Pastor Ward Tressler was pastoring Grace, and, and some of you remember him because he actually continued pastoring part-time up into his 90s, and he, he just passed away in, in 11, I believe, and that's him in the middle um, actually, that's Larry Bilbrey on, on the left, if you know him. But anyway, so he, Pastor Tressler and his leadership bought this land here on Smith Road, 17 acres. And then in 1977, we started constructing this, the main auditorium that we had back then. And then a little, about 10 years later, we started constructing the, what we now call the children's gym. And then that went up in 1989. We started using that. And that was just before I came in 1990. 
Some people know, and some people are probably tired of hearing, hearing about it, and some people have never heard it, but I came as a full-time custodian and a part-time youth pastor, an assistant youth pastor. And three years later, uh, through a bunch of circumstances, ended up leading Grace. But that's 89. Then uh, we decided as a church, as we started growing and eventually went to two services in our main auditorium that we had back then, uh, people sacrificed in order to build this room that we're sitting in now, our current auditorium. And when they sacrificed to do that, it wasn't for them. We were comfortable. We fit in our two services in our old auditorium, but we built this auditorium for other people that they would come and so if you're sitting here and you weren't back then, they, people sacrificed to build a seat and a room for you. And now you're here. And that was in 2002. Then 2008, we built an extension, which was the, the quad, what we call the quad and the cafe. That was added. And then after that, we themed our children's gym. And that's, I think we did that in... in 12 or 13, and then many of you remember just a couple years ago, we built what's behind me, um, which is our youth center, which provided gym space, and then also two large teaching areas, and, uh, and I got to tell you, that, that was a wild experience. We went into that about two years ago, and we were so effective at, at bringing in um, unchurched people that it was a little chaotic that first year. I mean, our, our youth pastors didn't know most of these kids. They were kind of flooding in, and we were trying to win them to Christ. And it took a while to, to sort everything out, to be able to identify kids, to find out who they were, what their needs were, and, and things you know, got a lot easier uh, a year or so, this, or this last year or so. But our whole point is to, to change lives. That, that's here in, in Fremont. Um, around the world, many of you know that we support, we fully support, completely support two orphanages in Thailand, and we also provide for orphanage, for different orphans in Thailand and in Africa through local churches, so we do that two different ways. We also support missionaries in the Philippines, Thailand, Greece, Japan, the Dominican Republic. We also adopted uh, two church campuses, one in Paulding, and then last year uh, we relaunched Northwood. And some of, us, some of us went to Grace Point in Northwood to help that, that go. That, it's been a year now. Uh, a couple of couples are, are coming back, but many are staying, and we're still trying to get traction. We want that to grow. And we're here are, are, we're here to change the world one heart at a time. Hopefully, as you came in, you were given a, a brochure, and if you weren't given one, just, just grab one on the way out. But uh, and this just tells you a little bit about what we're doing. But if you just flip the, open the cover, you'll see on this first page that's facing you, which is page three, just a, a blue block, and it just it gives you the rundown of the, how God has allowed us to grow over the years um, in attendance. It gives the year and the attendance, of course. And 
and these are just numbers on a page. You know, you could try to make that exciting and, and put it on a graph and a bunch of things that we're thinking about, but really all this is numbers on a page. What pumps us up is that the numbers on this page represent hearts, lives, people who have been impacted by God, whose lives have been changed and through the ministry of grace that God has used us that way. So that's why it matters. It's the Great Commission. It's God's heart for the lost. And then we've talked about where we've been to set the context a little bit. And now I'm excited to, to talk to you about where we're going. What's next? What does God want us to do? Several years ago, even before Paulding and in Northwood, we were looking around to try to see if we could identify any communities that were underserved with the gospel that we could make an impact in. As we kept growing and growing, and growing here in Fremont, and people kept saying, how big can a church be in Fremont, which was just kind of unusual. And one of the communities, the, the main community that we identified was Tiffin. Tiffin, Ohio is a little larger than Fremont, and they don't have an evangelical church there even a quarter of the size of, of grace. And so we've always seen Tiffin as a city that we believed was underserved with the gospel. We're not saying there are no gospel-preaching churches. I mean, I think there are two or three churches there that preach the gospel. But we're saying they're underserved. And we feel that we have a niche that we can go into Tiffin with that God will use to impact people. And, and our, what's different, a little different, or our niche at Grace is a couple things. Number one, we're a contemporary church in our style, but we're very conservative in our biblical doctrine. So when we started in 39, what church service looked like then and what church service looks like now, that would be shockingly different, right? But the teaching is exactly the same. We've not altered anything about our teaching. We are committed to God's Word today, just as committed as they were committed to the inerrance of Scripture in 1939. That has not changed at all. And a lot of churches that are more contemporary slip on God's Word. We're committed to not doing that. So that's, that's a niche. Not the only church around that, that's like that, but I'm just saying that that's unusual. And the other unusual thing about Grace is that we're a large church for the size of our town. You just don't see that very often. A church like ours that's regularly, on average, we have in the 1800s in a town of, you know, 16,000 or whatever. So those are the unusual things. And we believe that Tiffany is ripe for a ministry like ours. Not to mention a greater population than we have. They have two four-year colleges in Tiffin. And although college students aren't, aren't the best uh, demographic to start uh, the foundation of a church, they're a great demographic for evangelism. And so we want to impact those schools. We want to make a difference. And so that's the where. We actually started thinking about this 
Uh, four years ago, we identified Tiffin and, and we came up with a five-year plan to make that happen, which next year will be five years. And so that's, that's kind of where we're going there. The timing is, we thought, well, September of 19, that's our drop dead, we've got to do this by then. And we felt the fall was a good time. But I got to tell you, the more we look at this project, it, it just quickens my heartbeat. I mean, it just feels like it's going to be hard to wait. And if everything comes together, it could be, it could happen as early as October of this year. So between October of this year and September of next year, Lord willing, we are launching a campus in Tiffin, Ohio. That's the timing. Some people have, have asked about uh, involvement. And, and I know some people, some of you, we have, I think, 400 or so, Dave, people from Tiffin uh, who attend here at Grace. And, uh, and I know some of you are thinking, no, I, I don't want to leave my church. <laughs> I don't want to go. We get that. And we're not asking for every single person who has an address closer to Tiffin to go to Tiffin although every single one of you should consider it, but, but we're not asking you to do that. We'll, we'll figure that out as we go. We'll find a team who wants to be there and to make that happen, but, but we're excited about that. Some people have asked about leadership. The leadership of the church there will be people who are already in leadership here, and so they, we will take our present staff, and some of them will go to Tiffin and lead Tiffin. In the meantime, what we're doing here, because we've learned over the last two uh, churches that we've been involved with, is that we are now, through your generosity, we have an intern program and a resident program that we are trying to hire up. And for the first time in our history since I've been here, we're trying to get where we're a little heavy on staff rather than light on staff compared to other churches our size. So when we birth Tiffin and some of our leaders go, that we won't be stressing ourselves out so much on staff like we have the last two times. So that's what we're trying to do to make that happen. So we have a pipeline. We're developing that pipeline. And, and that's a constant issue for us because our church is growing. Right now, we're looking for four full-time people to join our staff. And we're trying to do a little bit better about getting the word out, but some of that involves tech, youth, um, just all kinds of, of needs that we're, we're working on. So that's, that's kind of the plan. Um, we're, we're looking to lease space. We don't want to build. We know that churches all around the country that, that start, they make this huge mistake of uh, building too soon and too small. We believe it's much, much more efficient and cost-effective to lease space at the beginning and then go from there. And a lot of people have been asking, well, where is that going to be? We, we don't know yet but we're going to figure that out. Could be in a school, could be at the, the mall where everybody's vacating. There's not a whole lot there, but a lot of space, and that's exactly what we need. And so we'll be figuring that out. But when all that starts coming together, then we'll refine our timing. And how does that involve you? Well, we want everyone in our church to be thinking about how God will best leverage your time, talent, abilities, and opportunities for his kingdom and to make disciples. Tiffin 
is underserved with the gospel. And I really believe that the next three years between Grace Point and Tiffin, it will be the most exciting three years in our entire church history. I believe that with all my heart. Because I believe God is going to do something amazing. And Anybody of you ever run track? Or, or even maybe if you're on the, the line in football. You, you know what I mean when you're, when you're in the starting blocks? And then you're cocked back. And you can only go forward because you can't go back any further. I mean, you're ready to spring, right? That's how I feel like we are right now. Like in the starting blocks. Our fingers are right there on the line. Just trembling with anticipation. Just waiting for that gun to go off. And we will explode into the future and see what God has for us to do. I believe we're right there. And I'm telling you, that gun is going to go off in two weeks. And so we want you to buckle up, get ready, be praying about how God can use you to impact the kingdom. By the way, we don't want to lose any steam in our ministry right here. I mean, if, if 400 people went, we'd probably go back to two services and we'd enjoy that for a while. But the point is, hey, we want to do what God wants us to do and we want to continue impacting people right here in this area, Fremont and Clyde, and also Seneca County. And I believe God has uniquely poised us and equipped us. He's equipped us to make this impact. I don't think anybody can do it better than we can because how God has strategically placed us right now. And that's what I want you to be praying about. Over the next few weeks, while we're in this series, Synergize, united momentum to change lives. Uh, just what I said, that you'd be praying on how, how God would use you to make an impact. How God would use you to be a part as we come together as a church and we come together to make disciples. What is your role in that? That's what we're trying to figure out. And so here's what I'm saying. Military men, they have to know how to fight, right? Generals have to know how to fight. And Christians have to know how to make disciples. We have to understand what our role is and discover our role in how we can help move the ball when it comes to making disciples because that's how God grows his kingdom here on earth. And the church, by the way, is the most important organization on the planet because that's where the hope of the world is in churches like ours. And we are going to make an impact, and we are going to make a difference, and God has already used us, and God is going to use us, I believe, in the next three years like he's never used us before. But we need everyone to be all in. So take your uh, brochures home. I'd like you to bring them back, though, next Sunday, but if you forget, you forget. But more importantly, take them home, stick them in your Bible. And uh, put it somewhere where you'll see it, and hopefully that will remind you to pray. And we want you to pray for wisdom, for grace as we do this. This takes a lot of extra work, a lot of effort. We're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the kingdom. 
and then also wisdom for us that we would find God's direction in all this and then how you can be engaged in our ministry. That's what we want you to be thinking about. Let's stand together and we'll close. Let's pray together. Father, thank us. Thank, thank you, Lord, for helping us do what we need to do. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, your righteousness, and that you have a plan to use us, that, that somehow we're players in this. God, thank you for allowing us to do that. We know you bring the increase. You change hearts, but you use us in some mysterious way to, to somehow be a part of that. Thank you, Lord, and help us to be effective. Help us to take it seriously. Lord, we love you, and we want to love you back with action. Lord, help us to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. See you next Sunday. You're dismissed.